some noise for God. Amen. Hey, life's little interruptions can be a huge blessing that God can give to us. I, I hope for these next few moments, I want to help you with some helpful help out of the word about when life is interrupted, how we might look at those moments just a little bit differently. You ready? Um, Super Bowl Sunday, I just want you to know I'm rooting for the Steelers. So um, I know, Pastor Scott, your heart is for Seattle Seahawks. Maybe next year, right? We can get there. We still need a quarterback, so we're in trouble on the Steelers. But go Rams. Rams is my second team. I know the Super Bowl party's out there. Lots of fun. But we're going to spend just a few moments here around the Word. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're just continuing our way verse by verse through this amazing gospel written by this guy named Dr. Luke. Um, I don't know if you've um, thought about this, but I certainly have in kind of setting up the text here. I always want to, you know, bring the context in, and we're going to read the text, dig into it, and then, God, what are you speaking into my life? But there are certain moments that we are caught by surprise when there's a life interruption. Would you agree? Sometimes those surprises are good, and sometimes those surprises are not so good. And just, uh, if I could just be open and vulnerable with you with a few um, quick illustrations about this. I remember when I was sitting in junior high school class, my third period, and I had my eye on this one third, um, in my third period class, I had this eye on one girl, her name was Lisa, and I passed a note to my friend and asked her to him to pass the note and him to pass the note to her. And the note basically said this, um, lunch after uh, fourth period, uh, cheese pizza, uh, where lunch is at Nugget Hills Junior High School. And so I'm waiting for the note to come back, and it passes through three or four for different my friends. I opened the note, it said, no. <laughs> that was not a good surprise, right? Um, when I um, met my wife for the very first time at Laguna Hills Mall Cinema, we were both working at the movie theater. I still remember what she wore, brown corduroy pants. She had a white blouse on. She had these clogs on. I remember exactly how her hair was. And I'd walk by, you know, the booth where she sold the tickets and I was a ticket taker. I could smell her through the booth, her perfume and the whole thing. I just fell in love with her and I just got to know her personality and just loved her so much. We dated for about six, eight months. And so um, I got this note it was a surprise note. I opened up the note. I thought this is like some Valentine thing or something. And it said, I'm sorry, I have to break up with you because I can't be a pastor's wife if we're going to get married because I can't sing and I can't play the piano. So I can't be a pastor's wife. I was like, no, that's not the kind of surprise I wanted. But a month later, she came back to her senses and the whole deal. And so we got married. No, just, just teasing. Um, you may be a student and uh, thinking, man, I aced this test. I've got it in my hip pocket, studied, ran through it, no problem, got the grade back, and it's not what you wanted. I just bring up some of these illustrations to say that there are these little interruptions in life that, I don't know about you, but sometimes I fight those. I'm like, God, you certainly can't have this. This certainly can't be your will. This, this can't be what you're doing, God. There's something wrong here. And I just, I just want to say when it feels like there's a life interruption or we're caught by surprise, it certainly does not mean that God is absent in that moment. Would you agree? I had the opportunity when I, my wife and I lived in Hawaii for a little while. Um, we worked with uh, high school and junior high students. And I got invited to go over. We lived on Oahu. We got, I got invited just to go to a small pastor's conference gathering over in Hilo on the Big Island. And so I remember flying over. It's about a 25-minute flight getting there. And it was pouring rain. And the building size was about our size here at MVCC. And as soon as I walked into that place, I just got to tell you, I was caught by surprise in the spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit, just the presence of God in that place. And I was expecting to take some notes, you know, on how to get the church growing and how to reach more kids for Christ and all that. And I sat down with my pen and, and notebook open. And can I just tell you, before I took any notes, 
the presence of God was so real in that moment, I was just caught up in this surprised moment in the spirit. And God was just downloading some stuff that he wanted to interrupt in my life. And I got to tell you, there were some things that I didn't want to change. But my heart was, I wanted to be more like Jesus. And I thought the road to be more like Jesus would be really smooth. And it isn't. Most of you know that. Sometimes the, the, the road to gentleness is not so gentle. Sometimes it's a rocky path. And Jesus takes an interruption in our life to bring us something, some blessing. And that's what I want to focus in on here in the fifth chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 11. This is a familiar place. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. If you don't, there's an app on your phone. You can find the Holy Bible. It's really easy. If you go to the MVCC app, there's a Holy Bible on there. It's free. It's just the Bible is on your phone. It's really cool. This is a familiar place as we've been walking with Jesus here called the Sea of Galilee. It's a small town of Capernaum. Some of your Bible versions um, name it by another place, the Lake of Gennesaret. But it was small towns around the Sea of Galilee. Just just a, a, a point of reference here. It was on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. It was 700 feet below sea level. It was basically a fisherman's town. Lots of activity. It was a livelihood that they were familiar with. Peter, James, and John, and some of the other disciples were at the fishing docks. I just want you to see this scene with me for a moment. Remember that in chapter 4, we looked at Jesus had proclaimed that he was the Messiah. Do you remember that? He opened up the scrolls. Uh, the prophetic word had come, and Jesus was now standing before the people of God, the Jewish people, and saying, I am the promised Messiah to come and save you. In fact, the entire human race. That was a day in the life of Jesus that was probably very stressful. Do you remember? Because they literally, literally were taking him off the side of a cliff to kill him. But Jesus walked right through the crowd. Don't you just love Jesus? I love the fact that in any moment that seems stressful or uneasy or there's a lot of tension or conflict, Jesus is still always in control. He is the sovereign God. And that evening, then, he goes over to Peter's house. He's invited there. And unfortunately, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever that is life-threatening. Jesus heals the fever in an instant. Miracle number one. The second miracle is then she gets up immediately, the Bible says, and she begins to serve people in the house. I think that's a reference there to show that when God does a miracle, he does a miracle. Doesn't come back again. It's immediate. And it always gives glory to God. The other thing that's interesting to me is that In that text in the fourth chapter, we looked at this. I just want to set the context. It says that everybody in the town who was sick was brought to Jesus. And Jesus healed every single person. If you're here today, and maybe there's a spiritual sickness, or there's a physical sickness, or your your soul is aching on the inside. See, I'm a a firm, firm believer that when we gather together around the word and we invite the Holy Spirit, we've worshiped him, we honor him. Lord, come Lord Jesus, bring your spirit. I believe God can do healings and miracles right here in our midst. It might mean not right in this very moment, but we pray and we seek the Lord and God can do amazing things. And I'm just a firm believer that God wants to come to our town, that he wants the whole town to know that Jesus can heal us of our sicknesses, our pain, our heartache, our struggles, our temptations. Jesus is the master healer. And he wanted the people in that day to know. Now, sometimes people's eyes are spiritually opened when there's a miracle. And so we're going to go here now to the side of the Sea of Galilee, the northeastern side. I just want you to see... Smell the lake in the, in the air. It's heavy. There's a lot of activity going on. And the Bible tells us that crowds of people have now pressed into Jesus. You can see that another 
Doesn't that look like Lake Mission Viejo? Just beautiful, right? It's a fishing town, and Jesus is there. And it says that the crowds in the King James Version thronged him, pressed into him. They wanted to touch him, to see a miracle healing. I think also, because of the context here we're going to read, that they came to hear the word. Jesus was so crystal clear when he spoke. He didn't have to quote another rabbi. He didn't have to, uh, this is my interpretation of what God's word is. He is the word. You know, can you imagine being in that moment and we are literally hearing the very voice of God? Pretty cool. So right here in verses one to three, let's just read together Luke chapter five. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. And for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. There are three things. I just If you're taking some notes inside of the seat back in front of you, there's a card provided. I just, for me, when I write things down, I remember it, stick it in my Bible, fold it up, put it in my pocket, because I want to make reference. God, what did you speak to me through the word of God today? Number one is this. There was directly a command from Jesus. Secondly, there was a concession among Peter's part that we'll look at. And then there was the call. I don't know if you picked up when I was reading that, something that's kind of strange to me. Uh, Peter, I need your boat. We're on the fishing docks here. They're mending their nets. They're fixing things. There's great crowds pressing into Jesus. Um, Jesus, uh, Peter, I, I need to use your boat. I thought that was kind of strange. He just walked in, got in the boat, Jesus, right on shore, and now people are pressing in. First is there's hills. Most commentators believe where Jesus was at Capernaum, as we saw the the picture there, there's hills on the back of where the shore was. And so, um, of course, Jesus didn't have a PA system. And there were probably, commentators believe, thousands of people pressed in to hear Jesus speak the very word of God. And so he sits in the boat knowing that his voice would carry up into the hills where everybody would have an opportunity to hear the good news that God can heal that God has come to deliver and God has come to save us and give us eternal life as a free gift. Now that's kind of strange. I think Jesus walks into the boat, sits in the boat and begins, begins to teach. That'd be like if we um, scanned, just think about this. You leave service here today, get ready for Super Bowl parties, right? You scan the um, parking lot and you pick out the nicest car that you would like to just use. And you just get in the car and sit, right? And someone comes up to the window, the owner says, hey, what are you doing inside my car? And you say, well, I need it. I noticed the MVCC sticker on the back window of your car, and I need that car because we have to pick up students to bring them here on Wednesday night, mission kids, right? We, we need to bring students here on Wednesday night, junior high and high school, and we need to pick them up, so we need a car. I've been thinking about my neighbors. I want them to come to a place, a community of faith. I want them to come experience God, and we're gonna invite them to MVCC, so we're gonna use your car. Wouldn't that be kind of strange? So I, I decided to kind of live this out. I did that. And I just want you to show you, before I got, uh, bef when I got here before services, this is the car that I chose to get into. Thank you, Devin, so much, bro. Love your van. VW vans, I've always like, those are so cool, right? So Devin, I may use your car to bring students Wednesday night, man. Thank you so much. But that's kind of what it was like. Jesus uses what we have, right? He uses what we have. And these guys have been out on the Sea of Galilee all night 
long. And they caught nothing. Let's pick it up here in verses four to seven. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. I just want to stop here for a second. Peter has kind of an attitude. I just want you to pick up on this. He's kind of like, look, you're the preacher. We're the fishermen. Don't tell us what to do. Master, Simon replied, we, we've worked all last night and didn't catch a thing. Here's, here's the golden part of this, this, this conversation. That, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought other partners, their other partners in the other boat. And so both boats were filled and fish were on the verge, so many fish on the verge of sinking the ships. I mean, it's so kind of a sterile for us to read these real life texts, these moments that we believe this really happened, don't we? I mean, if the, Bi- the Bible is God's word, this stuff really happened. It wasn't a figurative story. It wasn't like spiritual fish or anything. These were real fish out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to go out there and try it again. Now, I just, the context of this, these nets were huge. They had weights on them and they were, ex- ex- stuff that I've read about, they were stretch- uh, stretching out to two or three sized boats. These boats could fit like 20 to 22 people in these boats. So it wasn't just a net that just cast out there. It took a lot of manpower to get these nets out there and they had to know exactly where to go. They were familiar with the Sea of Galilee all night long and nothing. I don't know if, um, you know, fishing is a huge part of your life. I, I kind of like, you know, some casual fishing. When I go up to Big Bear, we'll, you know, rent a pontoon boat and we'll go out there. I hate fishing, but I love catching. You with me? I love catching fish, but I hate going out there. I think the disciples were discouraged. I think there was some lack of hope. They got to lay these nets up. They got to wash them down. Some of them, you know, they mending their nets, fixing them. And Jesus says, hey, boys, I need you to go out there again. Isn't it cool that Jesus not only is omniscient, he is all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. The very fish that he created he knows every single one of them and where they were in the Sea of Galilee. Why in the world do I worry so much? Pastor Scott, why do I worry so much about what's happening in my life, the little things, when God is all-knowing? He's all-powerful. If he knows where every single fish is in the Sea of Galilee, why am I worried about whether I'm going to make the mortgage? Where, why am I worried about whether my sons are going to make it, you know, spiritually? Why am I so worried about my wife's health or what's going to happen in life? Or are we going to make church budget? Or what's going to happen with your church in the middle of all this crazy COVIDness stuff, God? Why do I worry so much? Why can't I just be at peace with God, you are sovereign. You know. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every move that you're going to make. He knows every thought that you have. Hebrews 4.13, just as some encouragement. Jesus says through the writer of Hebrews, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. You know, sometimes when, when I do something that I shouldn't do, because pastors are real people too, 
And, and sometimes we, you know, we get off course and I do something I know I shouldn't get myself wrapped up in an attitude thinking that I'm better than somebody else and I'm going to make a comeback here and they're never going to hit me again and all those things that sometimes I struggle with. I'm like, God, I have to be so mindful, so thankful that God, you see everything. And when I do mess up, why is it that I'm afraid to go to God and say, God, I really messed up on this one again. Like God doesn't know. He knows. He cares. I don't know, maybe some of us here in this room today just need to be reminded that God is in love with you. He loves you unconditionally. He loved Peter. He loved James and John. And yes, he saw all their failures, all their sins. He saw all of their mess-ups. Even the fact that these guys were Jewish. They were supposed to follow the Old Testament law. They studied the scriptures. They went through the rabbinical studies when they were little kids, little boys, and they knew the scripture. And they still, Peter still was impetuous. He still stood on the dock of the boat, was cussing people out. He had all kinds of problems and issues in life. And God said, there's a man that I can use. Come on, Lord. We were out there all night. As I said before, the thing, when I was just reading and rereading this and studying this and packing this message together, which I hope is some helpful help for all of us, when God brings those interruptions, sometimes I get an attitude like Peter. You're the preacher, we're the fishermen, leave the fishing to us, God, come on. But because, here's the key in the text. This is the gold, this is, this is golden for me right here, baby, right here. But because you said so, The real mark of a Christ follower, whether we're really maturing and growing in Christ, is being able to man up, being able to woman woman up and say, God, I will do what you want me to do. I won't get involved in that one because you said so. And even though I really want to get involved in that one, I mean, come on, let's just be real, folks. Are there some sins that we just like to sink our teeth into and just have a momentary rush or fun or just meet some need and we just really want to go there? But we know it's not the right thing to do. It's going to hurt our walk with God. It's going to taint our witness for Jesus Christ with people that we love and want them to come to faith in Christ. And being able to say, God, I won't go there because you said so. That's the mark. Whether we're really growing in Christ. It's easy to follow Jesus when it's easy. But what about when it's hard? What about when I don't understand what God is doing, but I will trust him at his word? God is looking for us, folks. He's looking for you. He's looking for me for a total obedience, regardless of how we feel about it. God is God over everything. So let's trust him. Nehemiah, one of, one of my favorite Old Testament books, I like Nehemiah because he was a man that was asked to do something from God and he got right to the work. He administrated a team. He built that wall. He did everything God asked him to do. Even in the face of people that were saying, come down from that wall. You're crazy. I can't believe you're doing this. He says, you do what you do. I got to do what I do. I'm on a mission from God. In essence, is what he's saying. Here's what was written in Nehemiah 9.6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest of heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in, in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. That's what helps me to make wise choices. And when I don't make the biblical choice, or I sometimes just get an attitude, or I just fall to something, I have to remember that God is a God that forgives, and he loves, and he never tires. God's credit rating of forgiveness never runs out. 
I don't want to abuse that at all, but I certainly want to know, God, that I can come to you at any time of the moment, God, and say, oh, God, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Yes, yes, I will. That is, that is so, so where Peter was missing. God is looking for obedience even in the struggle, folks. Listen, I know you don't like your ex. I know. I, I, I know that I, I, sometimes that person is trying to pull or influence, although they never admit it, your children's influence away from you. I, I know that you want to just, just get them when there's a struggle in your heart. Because you said so, I'll do it. Let's continue on verses 8 through 11. It gets, it gets really cool. When, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as, as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, man, I don't know, there's somebody that just needs to hear this phrase. Don't, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You know what? I did not realize that this is the third time that Peter had an encounter with Jesus, which tells me sometimes it takes a little bit to stick, right? Don't, I know that some of us are very impatient because we want some of our family, some of our friends to either know Jesus or to get life right or get off the drugs or alcohol or get away from that addiction or get away from that boyfriend or girlfriend and it just seems like they're not listening. Sometimes it takes a little while. It took me 18 years to accept Jesus. It wasn't the first time I heard the gospel. It was, I think, the third or fourth time I heard the gospel. We're just, some of us are just hard-headed, which leads to the second point that, Peter, I love in this moment, there's a concession. There's a concession that is like nothing in this world. Peter comes to this place of humility. I think he realizes for the very first time that who is really in that boat? He comes face to face with God. Face to face with the creator of the universe. And the only response, watch this, fish flopping all over. There's boats are sinking. Boats are coming. Guys are coming to help this incredible miracle. I mean, Peter is so blown away at this miracle that Jesus performs. His only response is humility. His only response is to humble himself fall to his knees and say, God, I have no business being anywhere near you. In fact, I need to get away from you because I know who I am. Can I just say that this is the best place to be when God interrupts your life, when God brings a caught by surprise moment. Sometimes we feel I'm not worthy, Lord, and that's okay. Can I just tell you that I think the best candidate the best candidate to receive a blessing, a miracle, is the most needy person. It's not that we have it all together. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with knowing scripture, memorizing scripture, been baptized 15 times, been in church all our life. And those are great things. 
But the moment that I forget that I am absolutely 100% dependent on God, I may miss a blessing and I may miss a miracle that God wants to bring. Think about this for a second. Why would God trust me with a miracle if he's concerned that I will not give all glory to God? If there's any hint of arrogance, pride might take some of the glory. God spoke to my heart about seven years ago. I was pleading with God on a prayer night. I said, God, come on, I want you to do miracles and the supernatural so people will see, God, that you are alive. Because most people in South County, they know about church. They know about something about the Bible and they know about Jesus, but they've not encountered a real God. So God, if you do some miracles, if you did something on Tuesday night where you healed somebody, you gave a word and people went out and told that story and then they came and brought them on Sunday morning and we helped them come to faith in Jesus. God, that's what you want. You want souls, right? We're on, we're on the same page together, right, God? Here's what God spoke to my heart. I'm waiting on a church that will give me all the glory. I'm tired of my leaders taking my glory from me. Maybe God allows us to have a life interruption to get us to our end, right? You know, if you feel like or have been in your life, feel like you are hanging on to the end of the rope, Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, help me, God, I'm not gonna make it without you. That is the best place to be, the best place to be. It reminds me in scripture in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Isaiah, I love this guy. Isaiah, he was so, he was so chosen to go into the temple. And the Bible tells us in chapter six of Isaiah, there were angels, but most of all, the very presence of God in this place. And the only response that, Isaiah the prophet, man. Isaiah who had the incredible encounter with God to write down the text of the Old Testament. He says these words, I am a ruined man. I am a man of unclean lips. Fell on his face before God because he knew that God in all of his glory and all of his power, he didn't belong there. And at that moment, I believe God invites us to stay in his presence He's not looking for people to say, well, God, you're so blessed to have me. Man, the company's going great. You know, family's doing great. Haven't made very many minutes. Say, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good woman. Just, you're blessed to have me, Lord. I give a lot of money to your ministry. And he's looking for the person to say, God, I have nothing. I have nothing in my life. Only you, God. Only you, only you, only you. That was Isaiah. Love the apostle John. Stood there at the cross for six hours while Jesus died. He was the only one of the 12 that stood there with Martha and the women of God who fell, uh, uh, fell at their feet and loved Jesus with all their heart. And Jesus changed their life. When Jesus was being crucified, hanging on the cross, it was John that was there. God gave him a revelation about 50 years later as he wrote down the very last book of the Bible. And it says in that vision, when he saw Jesus, the Bible tells us he fell to his feet as though he were dead. In the presence of God, we recognize that it's all him, his power, his glory. And that is where Peter was. I only say these things, I bring this up in scripture because it is good. It is good to be crushed. Crushed in spirit. Crushed where we feel like we have nothing to bring to the cross. Because it's there that I believe Jesus said in his heart to Peter, now I can use you. Now I can use you, Peter. Now here's, here's the encouraging thing. Watch how fast it changed for Peter. Peter with a little bit of an attitude. Ah, oh, come on, Lord, we've been out there. Moments later, 
who's in the boat with me? Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those spirits that are crushed. It's okay. God can rebuild what we thought was broken. You know, this whole truth about humility and feeling like you're at the end of your rope and feel like you have nothing to bring is, again, the best place to be. God honors that. God pushes us through on the 91 freeway into the fast track when we humble ourselves before him. And that's what Peter was doing. You know, one of, the, one of the, my favorite movies of all time is um, Indiana Jones uh, movies, a series. I love those movies. Particularly the third one on the um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with Sean Connery in it. They were looking, I love it because they're looking for the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ, right? And as they're making their way through this cleft in the rock to go to where the chalices are, to pick one chance to pick the possibility that this might be the very chalice that Jesus used at the Last Supper, it was in the final moments that they had to get through. And, and Sean Connery opens up, the father of Indiana Jones, he opens up his book of studies and archaeology findings, and he reads one of the lines, and it says, only the penitent man will pass. And I think that's true for our Christian walk. When we humble ourselves and we just say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. God blesses that. He's attracted to humility. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus, a little bit later, as we'll study through the Gospels, there was a Pharisee who came to the temple to pray and there was a tax collector. Do you remember this? And it says in there that the Pharisee said, I am so glad as he was praying to himself, I am so glad I'm not like one of those tax collectors, sinners, cheats, liars, stealers. But the tax collector came and hit, hit beat on his chest in sorrow and said these words, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. There's a pattern here. For those who exalt himself will be humbled, but for those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen? Well, that's something we could put in the chat. That's something that our world needs today. That's something we want to teach our kids. That's something that we want to just kind of ooze out of our life. Even though we don't want to do it, we'll humble ourselves, which leads to some hopeful, helpful help for some action points here that I wanted to give you. What I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today, to the people of God, recognize, recognize your unworthiness. It's okay. There's no reason to try to build ourselves up before God. He knows everything. It's all right. He knows how many times we've relapsed into some addiction. He knows how many times we've been tempted. He knows how many times we've gone to that well of attitude. He knows. And he still loves us with an undying love. Never, ever, ever is it too weak for you and I to humble ourselves before God. God, I need you. God, I've hurt you. God, I apologize. I'm sorry. Which leads to action point number two. Um, launching out into the deep, man. This is one I got to tell you that excites me, but there's still a little bit of fear and trepidation in this because the, the depth of the waters are deep, scary, unsure, a little bit unknown. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I can't see the bottom of the Sea of Galilee like I can when I'm close to the shore. But God says, 
I need your boat, right? I need what you have. Now, if Jesus were to come to me and say, hey, Mike, I need your boat. I got to be honest with you. I probably would be thinking about all the good things that we've done. Lord, we did all these baptisms last year for you, God. We re-renovated the sanctuary, the place of worship for you people to worship you. God, we got online, you know, where it's more effective and it's just higher quality because we want to reach more people with the gospel. But God says this, I need, Mike, your brokenness. I need your failures. And yes, I, I want some of the successes. The boat represents all night long and we caught nothing. Ever feel like that? Toiling, straining, pressing in, doing it on my own. It just keeps coming up dead. I need your boat. Let me have that thing. Let me have that brokenness. Let me have that bad decision you made three years ago. Let, let me have all that. I was sitting with a brother last week and he was just pouring into a, a, a moment in his life when he was going through a divorce and just some things that he did, did and things that he said that he wished he could take, take back. And I said, brother, let me just encourage you with this. As a Christian guy, we're brothers in Christ. Nothing is ever wasted with God. Nothing. Someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Mike, can, can I talk to you a minute? Can you pray for me? We're going through this divorce. We're going through this difficult time. Absolutely. Come on, bro, over here. We're going to pray. We're going to surround this brother. And we begin to pray. But I can't tell you that I understand what that means. I don't know what it means to go through a divorce. I can't personally get in, climb into that context. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It doesn't mean that I'm not empathetic and try to be sympathetic, but I just don't know. So that's where the body of Christ comes in because I got a brother who went through that and I know he went through that and I know the pain of what he went through and God brought him through the other side and that's the beauty of the crew in the boat rather than just being a crowd. See, a crowd can just stand and watch. A crowd can spectate, but Jesus says, I'm looking for some crew members. I'm looking for some people who are willing to go fishing for other people, to catch some other souls for me. And it takes all of our failures, our weaknesses, our successes, that we make a beautiful body of Jesus Christ so the world can look at us and go, you know what, I can identify with that. I want to be a part of what you guys are doing. Amen. So we got to be willing, action point number three is to catch some people. It really comes down to that. It's not just, well, I just got my praise on, bro. Came to church, got my praise on. Felt the Holy Spirit, man. God is awesome. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not just to that end. That's not why we come and gather. Well, I saw some friends. We did some high fives. We got some good feelings, got some prayers going. Amen. Now I'm going to go to Super Bowl parties. We do what we do. We worship God. We love him. We're in his word. We're serving. Why? So that we can bring others that are lost to Jesus Christ and help them to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this text, just wanted to remind us again, because I love it so much. It says, Peter dropped everything and followed him. So I'm going to be willing. I want to ask all of us just to realign ourselves we exist at MVCC to catch other fish. I don't like going fishing and catching nothing. 
I tell our staff all the time, I said, man, if, if people aren't getting saved kind of regular, if people aren't getting baptized and moving towards Jesus, I'm, I'm going to start getting rashes. I'm going to start getting itchy. I'm going to start getting uncomfortable and stuff because Jesus was serious when he said this thing. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations, all languages, all colors, all races, everybody. Everybody can come into my kingdom. You just got to go and get them. And here's the cool thing. God knows where the fish are. Right? God knows where the fish are. So when he leads you to somebody, it might be that God is bringing your boat out to exactly where that... Have you ever been standing in line somewhere and just felt... You saw someone in line and you just felt drawn to just go over there and put a hand on their shoulder and say, I just, I just don't know. This may sound weird. And then you just pour it out. That might be God, man. We got to go where the fish are. God knows where they are. So we're following him. I got to confess to you as we just kind of wind this down here that I wish I could tell you that all of us as pastors, you know, and pastors' wives, and we got a great ministry team here. I love the, the men and women that God has assembled in this season. We just love each other and working for one another for the gospel. I can tell you there's nobody out for themselves. We just all want to be humble and genuinely, I can say that, our elder team and our staff. But there are just some moments that I get into this attitude. It's kind of us and them. And I, I will confess to you when I get tired, it gets a little worse. I was leaving my house, leaving my house to come to my uh, Saturday morning men's group. Uh, we have a men's life group that we just meet around the New Testament every Saturday morning together. And I was getting there a little early because I needed to meet one of our guys. And um, so as I'm pulling out about seven in the morning from my driveway, got in my truck, turned the ignition on, started pulling out. There's, there's folks down the street that I just, yikes. How do I explain this? There's just, there's some dark moments there. There are just, there's just some darkness, okay? It's just some deep waters, if you will. And there's just always something going on. There's just something spiritually dark that's going on. And so I saw this deal going down. I saw there was an exchange between these two guys. And I tell you, I got an attitude. Why are they doing that in my neighborhood? The second thing I says, why don't they get a life? I'm thinking this stuff. Get a life, dude. What are you doing doing that? You're 40 years old and you're, you, you, don't have, you ever been there? I guess I'm the only one. I'm just in an intense moment with this because I don't like the fact that I think those things. What I need to be thinking is these guys are in the depths of the waters of life and God may be leading me to go over there because he knows that there are fish that need to be caught and he wants me to go over there and strike up a conversation and be available to whatever God wants to do. It's, it's not, I gotta go preach the gospel now. We only have five minutes. We gotta baptize them next Sunday. Just go build relationship. Just go show them the love of Jesus. Serve them, love them, get to know them. Does that make sense? Jesus is commanding us. This is not play around. Well, some people can do it, some people. He has commanded every single one of us as believers in Christ, as followers, to preach the gospel to all nations. And if necessary, as Francis of Assisi said, use words. That's why we're so passionate here about real love on mission. Real love on mission. Father, I just thank you so much for this text that just reminds us on this super Sunday, God, it's always a super Sunday with you, Lord. And we recognize as Peter did, I am in the boat with God. God, that's where we want to be. I pray, God, for anyone here today that just maybe feels like they're standing on the shoreline. They've been listening. They're in the crowd. 
They're interested. I like this guy, Jesus. I don't know about being in the crew. I don't know. I pray for anyone here, God, that just feels far away from you or feels like their past has just been too rough and I just can't. But because you say so, God, I just believe somebody needs to come to you, Jesus, right now. Just put their faith in you. And if that's you or two or five or 10, I just wanna have a prayer right now. You just pray along in your heart, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. Yes, because you say so. I will receive you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. I confess to you, God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes, I've blown it. And God, right now I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe in you. I surrender my heart to you. I receive you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.